Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. Three words. Jesus is everything. Redeemer, say it with me. Just Redeemer. Jesus is everything. Now, mission, you do the same. Ready? Jesus is everything. Now, let's say it all together, all right? Jesus is everything. Now, listen, you don't have to agree with that, believe it, like it, or trust it for it to still be true. I hope today, by the time our uh, gathering is over, uh, you are convinced of that very truth. Uh, Yeah, my name's Kyle, a disciple of Jesus husband of Colleen, father of Seth, Luke, Jude, and Anna, who we've added to our family since uh, you sent us out to plant uh, Mission Church. Uh, Four years ago next weekend, uh, so the first weekend of June in 2017, was the first time that my family gathered with uh, your church family. And three years ago this fall, you sent us out uh, to plant Mission Church. Now listen, as we get started today, uh, there are a couple of foundational truths that you've got to uh, be in agreement with. If you don't agree that Jesus is everything, I know you're going to agree with these, all right? Uh, Redeemer Community Church and Mission Church are not perfect churches. I mean, for heaven's sakes, just look at who's leading them, right? Uh, And then is the reality of the people who are part of it, right? Uh, Redeemer Community Church and Mission Church are not perfect churches, but I believe this with all of my being. These two church families are empowered by the very person of the Holy Spirit. And I praise God and thank you for your gospel friendship and partnership. Those of you gathered here on this lawn today are some of the nearest and dearest individuals in my life. And I consider it a great privilege to walk through the scriptures with you today. Uh, For those of you who are part of Mission Church family, we've been walking through the Gospel of Luke. We're in part 76 of what's going to be about 100, all right? So that's one thing you instilled in me during our time here is we can preach long sermon series and lead people to Jesus through them, okay? Uh, So if if you've not been walking with us through the Gospel of Luke, Elizabeth, thanks for reading for us. We are going to be in Luke chapter 18. So go ahead and tap or turn there. Find your place, Luke 18. And we're just going to look today at verses 31, 32, 33, and 34. Jesus is everything. Now, as we get ready to dive in, I don't want us to fall victim to what we tend to do in these kind of settings where we separate unnecessarily things that we've just sung and the things that we'll now study. They really kind of go hand in hand. There are several truths that we just sang, like um, Jesus said, when I thirst, Jesus said, when I am weak. Jesus said, when I fear. Jesus said, when I am lost. Now listen, we are either all of those things currently, 
or we have been all of those things in our past. And let's be honest, we'll all circle back around to some of those things again, right? Thirsty, weak, fearful, or lost. So as we get started, I want you to know this truth. Some sermons focus on your heart. We want you to receive Jesus and his gospel. Some sermons focus on your hands. We want you to serve Jesus and his gospel. Some sermons focus on your feet, uh, to be on mission with Jesus and his gospel. And yes, some sermons even focus on your wallet, to give to Jesus and to his gospel. But this sermon today is going to focus particularly on your mind. Your mind. To love the Lord your God with your mind. To know Jesus, to have the mind of Jesus, to think in ways like Jesus. Really, today is about the Bible, why we believe it, why we trust it, because God authors it. We want to be a Bible-believing, Bible-memorizing, Bible-reading, Bible-studying people. And we want to do so from the whole of the scriptures, right? From the Old Testament, uh, there's 39 books there. Uh, something like 1,189 chapters, 31,173 verses. That all leads to Jesus. It's about three quarters of the Bible if you're holding a hard copy in your hands. All the way from the Old Testament, all the way through to the New Testament with its 27 books and 260 chapters and 7,959 verses looking at Jesus and also looking back at Jesus. You know, ultimately, for those of us who aren't familiar, and I trust that in a gathering like this, there are some who are not, and we could all use the refresher. The Bible, in its entirety, both Old and New Testaments, is really a 66-book library. There's all kinds of genres, types of literature within this library. There's apocalyptic and history, letters, poetry, prophecy, wisdom. There's 40-plus different authors. Uh, Some of them were doctors, fishermen, kings, prophets, shepherds. This was composed or put together over a 1,500-year period. Three different languages, ancient Hebrew, ancient Aramaic, ancient Greek. Three different continents, Africa, Asia, Europe. And yet zero contradictions and zero errors. If God's not behind this, there's absolutely no way that the Bible is what it is, which is the living and active word of God. In fact, not only does it have zero contradictions and errors, it all has one unified storyline. It unfolds through creation and into fall, into uh, redemption of God's people. It has one unified theme, God's universal love for all of humanity, and one common message that salvation is for all, all, that includes you and it includes me includes everyone in our circles of influence. This one common message is that salvation is for all who repent of their sin, who turn from their sin and respond to God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind and with all of their strength. But, and here's the question we need to answer today, what is the Bible, the scriptures, the writings, what is the Bible, the written word of God all about? What is the Bible all about? What is the big idea, the central message, the primary purpose? Here it is. We're going to say it up front, and then we're going to dive into the text, and we're going to talk about what this means. The Bible, anybody want to guess? The Bible is all about Jesus, okay? Now, some of you are like, well, I heard that in Sunday school with a flannel graph. And others of you are like, what is Sunday school? And what in the world is a flannel graph? See, we're, we're working on a couple of different extremes and pendulums here. But the Bible... Is all about Jesus, the Savior, the living Word of God. 
Listen, as that's exactly what Jesus says about his life and this book. If you look with me, let's read these four verses again together. Taking the 12, that's the disciples, Jesus says to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, a very important city, and everything. If you highlight, star, mark, underline, circle in your Bibles, and I encourage you to do so with the word everything, because we're going to come back to that. Everything that's written, that's in the scriptures, in the writings, everything that's written about the Son of Man, Jesus himself, his favorite title for himself, everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets, the authors of scripture, will be accomplished. For he, the Son of Man, Jesus, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be betrayed. Those are the non-Jews. And will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. And after flogging him, the Son of Man, Jesus, they'll kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise. But in verse 34, the 12 disciples understand none of these things. Why? This saying is hidden from them. And they don't grasp what's said by Jesus. So what Jesus is telling us here is that this book is all about his life. So listen, we do not worship the written word of God. We do not worship the Bible. Do we hold it in high regard? Absolutely. But we do not worship the written word of God. We do worship the God of the Bible and we do worship Uh, the living word of God, Jesus Christ. We believe and we trust the Bible because it's the perfect recording of Jesus foretelling his coming uh, and uh, coming into history and fulfilling all that he has promised. And so there's two things today that I want us to to glean from this text that I want to uh, hit us in the mind, if you will, so that we would love the Lord our God with all of our mind. Uh, The first is this that Jesus is on a mission. Jesus is on a mission. And we see this in verse 31. In fact, uh, this series that we're uh, walking through the Gospel of Luke together, we've just called Jesus and his mission because that's really what the Gospel of Luke is all about, that Jesus is on a mission. Jesus says again in verse 31, everything, and if you haven't marked it yet, mark it now, everything that's written about him will be accomplished. And it's coming to a literal apex or a climax as they're going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the original city on a hill, the city most frequently mentioned in the whole Bible, the city to which God's people literally climb up to. They, they ascend toward singing on their pilgrimage. I think that when we finish the Gospel of Luke and do a little bit of Advent work this uh, at the end of the calendar year, Lord willing, uh, we'll begin next year as a church family in the Psalms of Ascent. I think it's Psalms 120 to 134. And those 15 chapters are the songs of God's people as they literally journey to Jerusalem several times a year. And this is what Jesus is doing with his people here on mission. Everything that's written about him will be accomplished as they're going up to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is born in a little town, Bethlehem. Jesus is raised in a little town, Nazareth. And as a baby, he's brought to Jerusalem to be dedicated in the temple. Not only as a baby, but as a boy, he's brought to Jerusalem every year to celebrate Passover. And for the most part, Jesus' everyday life is not lived in or around Jerusalem. His life is actually lived outside of the city of Jerusalem. But there's 
something very interesting that took place uh, about 10 chapters ago in Luke. Nine, nine chapters ago in Luke. In Luke 9, 51, Jesus once and for all sets his face toward Jerusalem. And so all of his preaching, all of his teaching, all of his healing, all of his casting out of demons, all of his prophesying, it's all taking place on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem to fulfill his mission. Jesus is on a mission. And that mission that he is resolute to fulfill is to die. What a mission, right? His mission is to die in our place and for our sins on the cross as a sacrificial substitute. Why Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem is centered on the very presence of God. From the temple, which housed the Holy of Holies, uh, to the priesthood, to the sacrifices, and all of it in the Old Testament is leading to Jesus, who comes to be with us, Emmanuel. He is the true temple. He is the great high priest. He is the sacrificial lamb of God. So the first thing we're reminded of in this text today is that Jesus is on a mission. And when Jesus sets out on a mission, he sets out to complete the mission that he started. But that mission that he started, Jesus is on a mission for what purpose? Jesus is on a mission, secondly, to fulfill prophecy in his death and resurrection. Again, we see this in verses uh, 31 to 33. Some Bible translations like the NIV, the New International Version, literally use the word fulfilled here. We just sang a song that talked about to fulfill the law and prophets. What that means is we have a God who makes promises and we have a God who keeps the promises that he's made. He fulfills them, which means that everything that human history has been pointing toward And everything that the Bible prophesies or promises is ultimately fulfilled in the death and the resurrection of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus uh, prophesies or foretells the future here. And how can Jesus do that? Because I don't know, last time I checked, I can't foretell the future. I have some general ideas, but even those oftentimes prove to be wrong. I mean, hello, Did anybody prophesy the last 15 months, right? And if they did, we would have written them off as some kind of whack job, yeah? Uh, Jesus, though, can foretell the future. Some of you in your Bibles, you even see the heading here, Jesus foretells his death a third time. How can Jesus foretell the future? Because he, as God, is sovereign. As God, he is eternal. He's outside time, and yet he works inside time. As God, he is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows and foretells the future. As God, he is unlike us. He knows and foretells the future that he will be. And look in your text with me in verses 32 and 33. Jesus foretells that he will first be uh, betrayed, arrested. Secondly, that he'll be mocked. Third, shamefully treated. Fourth, spit upon. And fifth, even flogged. So Jesus foretells to us the ways by which he will suffer. Again, everything that's foretold about Jesus happens as it's foretold, and everything that Jesus foretells about himself also happens as he foretells. Now, I know we're in a family gathering and we're outside. I'll do my best to keep this somewhat rated G. Uh, Flogging. Can we just use that as an example for a moment? I mean, we get a pretty good idea of what it means to be betrayed, uh, arrested, mocked, shamefully treated, spat upon. Uh, But think about flogging with me for just a moment. 
Jesus, in foretelling his death a third time, because he's God, sovereign, uh, omniscient, uh, unlike us, in being flogged, Jesus knows full well that he will be stripped naked or near naked and humiliated, that his hands will be tied, either chained or roped to a post, that his back and his behind and his legs would be exposed. Uh, that his body would literally be shredded by the stone balls and the metal hooks of a soldier's leather flagrum. A cat of nine tails is what some would refer to this as. So first, Jesus endures a sleepless night. And then, severely dehydrated, he endures significant blood loss. And Jesus knows that this is exactly, exactly what he is to endure in Jerusalem. Why would he ever endure such a thing? Because he is a man on a mission. He is a man on a mission to fulfill the scriptures. He is a man on a mission to fulfill the scriptures, to get to Jerusalem, to atone for the sin of the world by suffering at the hands of sinful men, though he himself is the sinless God-man, the Savior of the world. Again, Jesus knows and foretells the future. Not only does he say that he will be betrayed and arrested, not only does he say that he'll be mocked, not only does he say that he'll be shamefully treated, not only does he say that he'll be spit upon, not only does he say that he'll be flogged, he also says that he will be killed. In fact, to ensure that he's dead, they run a spear under his ribs and into his heart, and then they wrap up his body in upwards of 80 to 100 pounds of burial spices uh, and linens, and place it in a cold tomb cut out of rock. And by the way, there was no medical aid given to Jesus. So we can't say anything about, oh, well, he just passed out for a while, or maybe he just kind of swooned. No, Jesus dies. Again, Jesus knows and foretells the future. Betrayed and arrested, mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged, killed. But praise God that Jesus knows and foretells the future, that that's not the end of the story. That his mission was not just fulfilled in his death, but his mission was also fulfilled in his resurrection. And he promises this in this very text, that he will also resurrect, that he will be the only one to come back from death to never die again. Because the wage for, sins, the wage for sin is death, But Jesus dies not for his sin, but ours. He dies in our place. He dies for our sin. So death literally cannot hold him because he is sinless. Now, this illustration comes to mind, and it certainly uh, does not explain the magnitude. But sin for Jesus was like water over a duck's back, right? He took it upon himself, but it couldn't hold him down. It couldn't keep him in the grave And so three days later, because he was sinless and he died in our place and for our sin, death uh, was defeated. And three days later, Jesus rises. Again, everything, everything that is foretold about Jesus happens exactly as it's foretold. Everything that Jesus foretells about himself happens also exactly as it is foretold. Jesus says, again, verse 31, everything that's written about me will be accomplished. And it is coming to a literal apex, a literal climax. 
uh, climax at uh, or in the, the city on a hill, Jerusalem, as they go up to Jerusalem. Now, listen, I normally preach from about five half pages of notes, and today I've only got three. And we're already halfway through the last of the three pages. So can I begin the descent? You know, like put on your belts, we're getting ready to go down. You're like, man, we could do this more often, all right? Jesus is on a mission. Jesus is on a mission to fulfill prophecy in his death and resurrection. What I want you to walk away with today is that the whole Bible is about Jesus. That's ultimately what Jesus is saying. The whole Bible from start to finish is all about me. Listen, it's why we disagree with those who are in cults or those who are moralists or those who reduce Jesus to being a good example and not the real savior. No, the whole Bible is primarily, ultimately about Jesus. Now it's for us. Don't get me wrong. It's for, but it's not about you and it's not about me and it's not about us. It's about Jesus. Here's what I would love. Anybody want to know what I would love? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. All right. Here's what I would love today. This is what I would love. I would love for you to read the Bible and get to Jesus. I wonder how many times we've cut the process short because we hadn't gotten to Jesus and we grew weary or we grew distracted or we grew bored and we never got to the living word of God in the written word of God. Listen, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love our mission church family. I love this Redeemer Community Church family. I love pastoring and planting local churches. But what I would love more than all of those things is for you to meet God's living word through God's written word. Now, some of you are hung up. You're like, is your wife okay with that? Are your kids okay with that? Are, are the people in your church family okay? With, listen, they better be okay with that because that's what Jesus wants more than anything. Jesus wants more than anything for you to meet him, God's living word in God's written word. Why? Because what were the first three words I had us say together this morning, afternoon, whatever time of day is, it's morning somewhere. Jesus is everything. And so hear me when I say this. I, I want to pull this down out of the clouds. I want to put this as a, as a, a truth in your mind that I, I hope will soak into your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, the very person of God, that as you learn and as you listen and as you memorize and as you read and as you study and you trust the written word of God. Now listen, that's a lot of assumptions there, right? That's a lot of assumptions that you're actually doing this, that you, you're actually learning and listening and memorizing and reading and studying and trusting. Now listen, some of us are gathered here and we're like, I have the desire, but I just don't know how. Listen, that's why the church exists. We exist to help all, help one another individually and collectively work out the knot that is the human soul and the human heart. My, my heart's desire is that your heart's desire would be for those things, that you would be learning and listening and memorizing and reading and studying and trusting the written word of God. But listen, that's not the end. That's simply the means. Because in doing so, my greatest heart's desire is that you would be learning and listening and memorizing and reading and studying and trusting the living word of God, Jesus himself. Friends, that is the end game to the written word of God. 
that we would actually learn Jesus, not about him. Listen, some of you, you could beat all of us in a trivia game about Jesus. You know all the facts and the figures. Listen, you, you've maybe got the Bible college degree or the master's degree or you've put in the time or you've been following Jesus longer than this bald-headed beard guy up here has been alive. I get it, okay? I get it. I'm catching you though, all right? The, the influence or the, the uh, proof is in the fact that I grow absolutely no hair on the back of my head. All right. But are you learning Jesus? Are you learning who he is? Are you learning how he thinks? Are you learning how he speaks? Are you learning how he acts? Are you learning his very heart and his very motives? Oh, friends, that we would not just learn facts and figures about the living word of God, but that we would actually learn him, that we would learn him. And in learning him, we would listen to him. And in listening to him, we would memorize his ways. And in memorizing his ways, we would crave to, to read not just words on paper, but to read his very life. And in reading his very life, that we would study him and that we would trust him. Friends, don't cut the process short and think, oh, I've spent time in the written word of God. Listen, the written word of God is pointing to the, the huge E on the I chart that is Jesus Christ, the living word of God. Now, listen, I don't have time to get into all kinds of things and ways that as we're reading, even in the Old Testament, uh, that we can see Jesus. But think about it. Jesus, the angel of the Lord, Preborn, showing up in different ways, shapes, and forms, places like the life of Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Daniel, Isaiah, uh, types like like in Adam, or with with the kings and the judges and the priests and the prophets and the sacrifices, the shepherds, the temple, the true bread, the true the true light, the true vine. All of that is a a foreshadowing and a preview of the actual thing. Jesus. And I know some of you are totally lost and you're like, what in the world is going on? Friends, I'm just showing us that everything from start to finish points to Jesus. Uh, A great pastor, uh, a great missiologist of our day named Tim Keller reminds us of Jesus being the true and better, the true and better Adam, the true and better Abel, the true and better Abraham and Isaac. Jacob and Joseph, Moses and Job, David and Esther, Jonah and Boaz, Nehemiah and Hosea. Listen, if all we do is read those texts and think, be like blank, we've missed it. All that is is moralism. We don't want anything to do with that. We want to be like Jesus. Also think about like some of the Old Testament events. I'll just use a familiar one as an example. Uh, The Exodus in none other than the book of Exodus. Uh, you know that the exodus, uh, the slavery of God's people in Egypt is to parallel the slavery of God's people in their sin. That the freedom God brings from Pharaoh is the freedom that God brings uh, from Satan. And he does it through redemption. He does it through, in exodus, a Passover lamb. And he does it for us with the capital L, Lamb of God, Jesus Christ Think about all the titles we read in the Old Testament, all these great word pictures that we can get hung up on. Guys, when have you ever gotten hung up on the idea that Jesus is our bridegroom, right? That Jesus is the husband. Have any of you guys ever got hung up on that? You're like, that kind of kind of rains on my ego a little bit. Well, listen, that's the exact point. Jesus does rain down on our ego. I would much rather me be 
uh, the bride and Jesus be the groom. Because remember what we sang earlier? Uh, if I am thirsty, if I am weak, if I am fearful, and if I am lost, I should come to him. Better yet, he comes to me. Jesus is the first and the last. He is the light. He is the Lord of glory. He is the redeemer, the rock, the savior, the shepherd, the son of man, the suffering servant. And in this text in particular, in Luke 18, yes, we read that everything that's written about him will be accomplished, even the prophecies. And again, I can't get into all of these, but what I can tell you is prophecies told us where he would be born, Bethlehem. Where was he born? Bethlehem. Who was he born of? Well, the prophecy said it had to be of a virgin. That should blow our minds. Like we should never ever think like that was a normal day. Nope, not a normal day at all. Uh, we call normal days Tuesday. We don't call born of a virgin a normal day. Uh, the prophecy said that he would suffer and he suffered. The prophecy said that he would be betrayed and he was betrayed. The prophecy said that he would be mocked and he was mocked. The prophecy said that he would be shamefully treated and he was shamefully treated. The prophecy said that he would be spit upon and he was spit upon. Now, would you believe that the prophecies actually described his flogging in greater detail than I shared with you today? And he was flogged. The prophecies said that he would die and he died. The prophecy said that he would rise and praise be to God, he is risen. We read about all that in Psalms, in Isaiah, so on. And so today, hear me now, if you are a Christian, and I know that many of us here are, many of us are walking with Jesus, I hope this helps you trust God's word as God's word. To trust God's written word as God's written word, but to trust God's living word, Jesus, as the living word. And I hope this helps you receive the Bible as the true uh, word that is truly written by God himself, as miraculous, as unlike anything else that's ever been or ever will be written. But listen, I know that in a gathering like this, because listen, can I say one other thing real quick for those of us who are Christians? There, our culture is in a mess. Now, I'm not going off on anything on a tangent, but hear me for a second. For any of you who are like literally on the verge of something that's become hip, cool, and trendy called deconstructing my faith, okay? Listen, this, this text really matters. And I know that you think, oh, well, it's just four verses and I'm not really sure what I believe. And all. No, listen, if, if everything that's written about him is to be accomplished and he actually accomplished it and he did, there is nothing to deconstruct, friends. There's absolutely nothing to deconstruct. If anything, what needs deconstructed is our doubt. What needs deconstructed is our unbelief. And so let's go to him like the man. Is it Mark 9? Again, you all know the facts and figures better than I do. All right, is it Mark 9? When the father comes uh, with the son and Jesus says, uh, do you believe? And the man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Oh man, that's a prayer that God will answer every single time. Help my unbelief, okay? Because for some of us, we're walking with Jesus, but man, it's a struggle. I get it, I'm there with you. But I also know in a gathering of this size, and who knows who can hear, because if I'm talking loud enough, maybe this sounds bouncing all over this area of Aurora. If you are not a Christian, listen, there is not shame in that for you today, because you need not stay where you are. 
There does not need to be condemnation or guilt for you because you need not stay where you are. Listen, if you are not a Christian, I hope that in light of this text, in light of our time together, you would consider these things, that you would contemplate these things, and that you would think, how in the world could these things be written if God wasn't intimately involved in the process? Beyond intimately involved, if he was not driving and inspiring the process. Listen, this book is unlike every other book that's ever been written or will be written because it's God revealing himself to us in the very person and work of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember verse 34. Some of you are like, man, this, I don't know if this has helped me love the Lord my God with all my mind. Well, verse 34 reminds us that the 12 disciples understand how many of these things? None. Some of us are there. We're understanding none of these things. Some of us are understanding by the grace of God, maybe one or two of these things. Listen, that's progress. Some of us are maybe understanding more of these things than we once did. Praise be to God. The disciples understood none of these things. Why? Because at this time, when this was written, the saying was hidden from them and they don't grasp what is said by Jesus. But my hope and prayer is that since these truths have now been revealed to us, they are no longer hidden, friends. These reveal these truths have been revealed to us in the very person and the work of Jesus Christ. My hope and prayer is that since these truths have been revealed, we no longer speculate because they have been revealed. My hope and prayer is that we would understand but that in understanding, we would stand under them and that we, by the grace of God, by the very person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would grasp what Jesus has said. And so today I want to invite those who are serving the Lord's Supper to find their places. What, what an appropriate day for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I would invite those who are leading us in playing instruments and singing to prepare yourselves as well. See, today we have the opportunity to celebrate that Jesus' body was given. We celebrate that by taking bread and remembering his body. We also get to celebrate that Jesus' blood is shed. And in the shedding of his blood, there is forgiveness of sin. And so we take a cup remembering his body, or his blood rather. And we get to celebrate today, friends, that Jesus is everything. And so I want to encourage you as the music plays uh, to examine your heart, to examine your mind, to turn from your sin. And friend, trust Jesus. Trust him. He is faithful and he is good. In closing, I just want to say what a joy it is to preach the gospel. I appreciate you. Mission Church family, uh, Redeemer Community Church family, I appreciate you allowing me to preach the gospel. This is one of my life's greatest joys is to open this book and to talk about this man, that you will know him, love him, serve him, trust him, worship him, that you will sing to him and that you will speak to him, that you would listen to him and follow him, that you would rise from death like him and that, friend, you would see him, that you would see him face to face in here 
well done, well done, good and faithful servant. If you'll bow, we'll pray, and then we'll respond together today. Father God, thank you for your word, which reveals to us your son. Jesus, we praise you that you are the God-man. We praise you for being the God-man on a mission. And we praise you that as the God-man on a mission to get to Jerusalem, you fulfilled the scriptures. And Lord Jesus, you have done everything that was promised you would do because you are everything that was promised that you would be. Holy Spirit, would you open our blind eyes to see? Holy Spirit, would you unlock our deaf ears to hear? Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts to receive? And Holy Spirit, would you renew our minds to know Jesus, that we will love, serve, trust, worship him, that we would stake our eternity on him to God's glory for others' good and our own joy. In Jesus' good name, amen.